Hello, I'm Georgina Godwin. And I'm Tyler Prodey. It's so wonderful to be here. We're broadcasting to you live from Super Mountain Market in San Moritz. And this is Monocle on Saturday. Apologies for that bit of feedback, but it is live here in this wonderful location, Tyler. It is indeed. And uh, good morning, Georgina. Very nice to see you up here. We've been talking about some type of literary jamboree festival for some while and it's finally happened in the mountains with about three weeks notice as well it's absolutely extraordinary and i mean what you and hannah grundy and various people have done to pull this together at such short notice is absolutely amazing and to all of you here with us you just pivoted and said you're having a party we're coming and we're so pleased yeah we've got people uh, visiting from all over the world and this is kind of the amazing thing because sometimes when we think about events like this especially when it's the mountains is this time of year the world reopening etc that we thought okay well people might sort of you know join from the other side of the border in Austria they might sort of chuck up from uh, Milan uh, but people have come from literally all over the world which is absolutely fantastic Georgina I want to just maybe uh, maybe you could sort of go through what the not just the running order for the next hour or so, but also what's going to happen. Why are people gathered? Because we talked about a lot of different authors that we might bring together, uh, but who are we going to be with, uh, well, later this evening and also tomorrow morning on Monocle on Sunday? Well, you know, Tyler, when we looked around the world and saw the, the most urgent and important questions, and given that this was happening just before the invasion of Ukraine, uh, the, the biggest thought, I guess, on everybody's agenda was Europe and the awful divisions uh, that, that we're, we're looking at, particularly from Britain with Brexit, but generally all over the continent. And really we were thinking about what does it mean to be European? Where is Europe going? What's the future? And how much of that has to do with what the past is? And the person that's really captured that is Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer. Now he's a Dutch author and his book Grand Hotel Europa has been a huge bestseller. In fact, it was you, Tyler, that first alerted me to him. Yes, I was actually at my local bookstore and I was looking at the Der Spiegel bestsellers. Didn't know that, uh, well, of course, I mean, obviously it was on a German bestseller list. Uh, then you did a little bit of digging as well. Uh, the book was not out um, in English at that time. So this is also a bit of a premiere also of the edition also coming out in the English language. I sort of had to bribe the publisher. <laughs> I had to promise to interview loads of his authors if he gave me the first draft of the book in English so I could read it and see if it worked. Uh, but he did. And then a couple of weeks ago, I went off to Genoa to meet Ilya. Uh, can you hear the sound of Rupert? He's 19 months old. He's just toddling around in the background. There. Yes, exactly. There's uh, and as, as we can say, this is a, a very special environment uh, that we're in. It's the first time we've probably taken uh, this show on road into a cafe space, which is, is as compact as this. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty compact, but it's, it's a lot of fun. So anyway, Ilya Leonard is going to join us a little bit later on uh, today. He's, he's coming here to San Moritz from his home in Genoa. And then this evening, we're going to have uh, this wonderful kind of intimate gathering where we'll be talking to him, uh, a sort of kind of fireside chat, really. Yeah, it's going to be in in, uh, the Struve at, at Suberta House. And this is the kind of the amazing thing as well, to be able to pull this together in probably one of the grandest hotels in the Alps as well. So uh, he's really got a bit of a, a setting and he, he, well, hopefully, he, I think he will deliver. Are you, oh, are you, are you confident? absolutely confident. And I'm only sorry that radio listeners can't see what he looks like because he is a, a, a wonderful vision too. Indeed. <laughs> as, as our live audience will find out a little bit later. Tyler, during the next sort of, I don't know, half an hour, an hour, however long we feel like chomping our croissants and drinking our coffee, we're also going to have a, a couple of uh, special guests here. Too. Indeed. Uh, we've got our Andrew Tuck, uh, our editor-in-chief, is around the corner. Uh, we, we're also going uh, to be talking uh, a little bit about also the transformation of, of Alpine resorts. You know, we are in San Moritz, uh, of course, uh, really home to place, which 
claims to be, uh, I would say, the fa at the foundation um, of, of really winter sport and winter tourism uh, as well. So we're talking a little bit um, about that. Also a little bit about entre entrepreneurship um, in, in, the in the region um, as well. Maybe just uh, from your side, first impressions, because again, as we said, we've been talking about getting you on this train up here for a while. You came from the lowlands uh, yesterday. It was a bit of a soggy day. We've had this amazing run of three weeks of just sunny, wonderful weather in the heart of Europe. Um, then it sort of got a little bit wet, but then it sort of became a little bit more magical uh, as you uh, certainly climbed up uh, in altitude levels as well. Honestly, one word, Narnia. <laughs> it was like going through the wardrobe and finding myself in this snow-covered forest with the mountains. It's so beautiful here. And I know that a few of us have been posting images on, on Instagram so people can get an idea of, of what that's like. But so, so beautiful to come into this, this, I mean, I'm sorry to use the cliche, but this winter wonderland. Yeah, and also for this time of, of year um, as well. They use the term Narnia, uh, one of our uh, visitors uh, and, and certainly regular delegates and friends of the family, uh, Jason, uh, who is, uh, who's, uh, flew in from Miami via Milan yesterday as well, was really sort of like talking, like walking out of the wardrobe um, as well. Uh, just I want to uh, bring in uh, Andrew Tuck, uh, our editor-in-chief. Uh, you can hear him chortling in the background. Andrew, you need, maybe need to be loaded up with a, with a coffee as, uh, as well, uh, but we can maybe certainly uh, sort, sort that out. So, you know, Andrew is, um, I'm not, Andrew's certainly not an old hand, but maybe he's a bit of an old hand um, in terms of the, the time that he's uh, certainly spent um, up here in uh, in St. Moritz, uh, you've uh, we've got a sort of a long relationship with the place. We were we were reminded yesterday as well that actually much of the foundation of this brand, actually a lot of Monocle, actually came together up here on a on a kitchen table. Yes, yeah, several times I think during the the history of Monocle, you've said, okay, let, let's go up to St. Moritz and let's decide what happens next. And I think there's been lots of crucial decisions taken up here, and I, and it's it's, it's 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 no coincidence. There's something about coming up from the city, leaving the lowlands behind, as you describe it, and you get up to a place where the air is a bit different, you're surrounded by mountains, and your brain works in a slightly different way. And it's, it's a, a place of contemplation immediately as you, you get here. Well, unless you've had rather too many wines, but it's 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's just a good headspace to be yeah, in. No, so, Georgina, so it's interesting. Andrew said uh, that also something happens, you know, when you go to bed here. We won't go into you know enormous detail uh, on a family program on a Saturday morning. But Andrew, you you said, and this is not the first time it's happened. You know, when you sort of. Uh, nestled down, you know, uh, in great Swiss linen, uh, in really a fondant of down. You have different dreams up here, don't you? And just so, I don't know if I'm, I'm much of a dreamer when I'm back home. Yeah, but you, my, yeah but, you are. But, but up here, it's, it's been crazy. And they're, they're all slightly, not, they're not too mad. So I woke up this morning and I thought, does Josh actually run an art gallery? And had I forgotten to go to his art exhibition? And, and Josh is our editor of Bank London. I hope he's not running an art gallery on the side. But yes, so it all got a bit confusing when I woke up. Was that the headline dream or the others? others you well, no, they, were, they, they, they got even more complicated because then it turned out that the, the place that he was having the exhibition, he'd also built the bar in the exhibition. And it's just one of these things that I just realised I didn't know enough about his career trajectory, so I had to kind of <laughs> apologise for what was going on. I don't have those dreams because the mountain air doesn't affect me because I am very cleverly, I think, tempering it with my nicotine intake. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Um, Andrew, just uh, maybe just one, one other thought as well. We after after this, of course, people are going to go off today. They're going to do a little bit of shopping. Uh, they they might uh, venture up the slopes, etc. Um, are you going to go up the slopes uh, today today as well? Because you know maybe maybe people have heard this story. This is just a warning to everyone assembled here today. What you may or may not do uh, when it comes to <laughs> true activities on the mountain. So we should rewind a little bit. There was. Uh, was it was a sort of a mini management summit that we exactly, had? Exactly, exactly. And so we, Andrew, sort of said, "Oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe." I, well, well, Tyler, what could I do today? And I said, "Well, I don't know. If you're not going to come skiing with me and my colleague Errol, why don't you go tobogganing? Maybe go sledding, Andrew." And, and Andrew said, "That sounds good, right?" Yeah, that sounds good. Now, uh, Tyler didn't tell me which run to go on, so I, I kind of wandered out. I had my coat on and probably trainers and a pair of sunglasses, and and I, I said to someone, "Oh, where, where's the toboggan run?" And so you just get this bus, and I took the bus and I got to the little kiosk and I said to the gentleman, I said, oh, you um, can I, I'd like to do the toboggan run. Am I dressed okay? He said, yeah, you look great. You look great. You're fine. And uh, I just said, Andrew think is in a Crombie scarf. I'm not sure if he's got gloves. And then, and he says trainers, but I, I, I think I've got photographic evidence that Andrew is wearing leather soled Crockett and Jones loafers. So, and, and, and probably you're what, three, I don't know. Marianne, how, how high is Moatis Morale? Three and a half thousand meters? It, it's high, isn't it? Two and two something. Two, 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 two five. Anyway, it's, it's high. So I, I go to the, the gentleman where you hire the toboggans from, and he said, um, I said, how much is it for you know, to hire? And he said, well, it's, uh, I think it was like 10 Swiss francs for one go. But he said, you're going to love it. Why don't you get like a day pass? And it's like 18 Swiss francs. You can go up and down as many times as you like. So I, I get on the lift. The lift is going up. It, you might as well be on a spaceship. The, the, the world was disappearing below me. And I got to the top, it was like there was like a wind. You just knew you were so high up. And so I looked at the run and I thought, oh God, I, there's nothing I can do. The other people had gone off like nice and gently. I got on this toboggan. It was the worst ride of my life. Every, every like two minutes I shot up in the air. I, I landed in snow. I banged into walls. I, I got to the end and I was almost hysterically laughing because I, I I'd made it. But I was hobbling rather badly. Anyway, I took a, a taxi back to the, to the hotel, <laughs> hoping to sneak in as this disheveled form. Just at this, that second, Tyler and Ariel, in beautifully kind of look, great looks, kind of skied right up to the hotel door as I stumbled out of a taxi. <laughs> and so I, and, and I, was, I said to Ariel, I did my glasses on, and I saw this, you know, one of those Mercedes vans sort of pull up. And then this gentleman in this Crombie coat sort of did it. Yeah, I mean, Andrew said it first. He sort of hobbled out, and <laughs> it was almost like they had to sort of lower stairs. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, Ariel, I said, that man looks like he had a very bad time. And then he came a little bit close, and it was, it was Andrew. And we said, do you want to join us for a hot chocolate or something? And Andrew said, no, I think there, there might be a bath waiting for him. <laughs> anyway. So, so spa day today. Exactly. It's going to be a spa, spa, day, spa day for you. Uh, just Georgina, uh, as well, just thinking uh, across, uh, not, again, not just today and, and what we're going to be looking at. But when you, when you think about uh, grant, hotels, when you think about uh, certainly uh, what Mr. Paper is going to be talking um, about today, and also the, the assembled group that we have here, people from all over the world, uh, the type of conversation and dialogue uh, you're hoping to have, because of course, we're going to have a reading and discussion around the book um, as well. But uh, what, what do you want to come out of this? What should be the discussion tomorrow morning as well? Well, 
you know, I think when we look at these grand hotels, and not only Severta House, where most of us are staying and where it will be taking place, they are very storied institutions, and they are so informed by their history. Uh, but I think that looking to the future is so important, because how long can institutions like this last? Do they have to pivot? Do they have to change? Is that in step with the rest of Europe? And I think, Andrew, in your column today, uh, you've got a, a wonderful piece where you're talking about having breakfast uh, at Severta House and looking around at the assembled guests and, and the assumptions that you make about people, which, when you start talking to them, really aren't necessarily <laughs> true. <laughs> you can't help but at breakfast wonder who all these kind of amazing people are coming, coming in to, uh, to get their Bersha muesli. But what, what's great is when you speak to the people in the hotel, many of these families have been coming for generations, and you can sense that. You can sense that it's not just people kind of... But some people, obviously, they're just at the weekend, but there are people who know that hotel, that whose families' lives have unfolded in it. They're very storied places, and so kind of narratives like coming up in your head where you imagine, I wonder who she is, or I wonder what they're up to. So and yesterday, we, we spent most of the day plotting and planning, uh, sitting in the, in, in the, the restaurant lobby of the, of the Sofreta House. And again, you just ca caught glimpses of people going past. And it, it's, it's just a fascinating world, the hotel. And that's why I think you know, there are so many great novels and things based in grand hotels. Absolutely. And I was going to ask you, do you think there's, a, there's a, not a conflict right now? Because we wrote an interesting piece. And of course, we, you know, we all rode up on the train and we, we were in the dining car. But I recall a piece that one of our US correspondents um, sent us last year. I think I might have wrote a comment piece. And it was talking about... In a way, sort of the storied world that we're talking about now, grand hotels, um, and then how do you deal with a new generation of traveler, of consumer? And there was a piece that we did about Amtrak in the United States saying that actually, you know, people, you know, whatever, post-millennials, they didn't want white tablecloths anymore. Um, you know, that was not sort of part of this time. Um, and so they were going to yank out the white tablecloths uh, because it was too formal, etc. Is you know, When you read something like that, um, is that just cost saving? Um, is it daft marketing? Um, and is there still room? And will there be more space for Suretta houses and other grand hotels? Well, I think that lots of people like the grand hotel experience. You know, maybe in the summer, they're going off to a beach club, maybe in Mykonos or something, but they, they like to mix and match their experiences. They don't expect to live all their lives in exactly the same, uh, the same kind of tone. So when I, again, when you look around, there are lots of young families who are coming up to these hotels, and it is very white tablecloths. And what I also love about it is that actually the staff who run those restaurants, it, they're, they're pretty strict about how they run it. It looks like they're, they're all on your side, but they make sure that there's nobody kind of with, you know, make, with a laptop or doing a conference call. They, they make sure that the, the restaurant and the, the whole ambience is run for the collective good. So there's something really magical about having them in charge as well. Absolutely. And talking about how these brands represent themselves, how they grow and how resorts like this actually thrive, I think it's probably time to bring in Mariana Yakic, who is brand manager for San Marin. Thanks so much for being here. I know you and Tyler are all friends, aren't you? Yes. We, I should say, sort of in full editorial disclosure as well, that, uh, that we have two parts of our business. Um, so, so we do have a bit of skin in the game up here um, as well, because our sister company, uh, Wink Creative, also does the magazine uh, exactly. for Samaritz yes. as well. So, yes. And we were also shared a building for a yes. while, not we as owners, neighbors. by the way. Yeah, <laughs> neighbors, yeah. And we found out uh, just uh, later that we were actually neighbors after a dinner that we had. Exactly, so where are you going? Oh, yeah. wow, we're in the same yeah. place. <laughs> 
Um, so, Mariana, you've actually relocated back here to St. Moritz, and that's a bit of a trend. Young people are coming back here. Yeah, so I, I, was, uh, I grew up in St. Moritz and was away for more than 20 years. I was living in Zurich in London and came back four years ago uh, in order to live here. I have a 12-year-old son, and I think for my future and his future and growing up in this area, I think it's uh, yeah something unique and something that usually you cannot find in a big city. I was going to say maybe we should rewind if we think back to this place 20 years ago. Uh, and that was probably the first time that I started coming up here. And it, there was there was a moment that was happening in, in, in San Moritz. There was this energy. Uh, there was maybe the start of, of a luxury boom um, up here. You saw regeneration. At the same time as well, though, uh, there was there was maybe a bit of a sense of place. There was many bakeries. There was a few metzgerai. There was many kiosks. Um, and, and then this place went through a bit of a funny period uh, that we all know. Uh, and then now there is this regeneration which is certainly happening how have you witnessed it what has been your experience and maybe not just with your tourism hat on as well yeah i, I maybe i, I just uh, yeah i can tell a personal experience so i always do some a, a sort of lobby check so when um when i was here before 20 years ago i was always around a little bit in the lobbies of the grand hotels to see who was there what the people are doing to observe them and to maybe know more about them and um, maybe 20 years ago it was a completely other guest uh, different uh, personalities different characters and then when i signed the contract in 2017 here i did the same thing again and yeah i saw maybe some older people, some uh, ladies playing bridge, and maybe also, yeah, well, it was another vibe than, than it was. So last year I did it again, despite the COVID situation. And I was really happy to see that there is a shift in the generation. I think the younger generation also started to appreciate the authentic experience that they can actually live here. That I think we strive, everyone from us strives um, yeah, we, we are in the, we search for or look for uh, the real experience, the real things in life. And I think that we are over, uh, uh, over uh, the over communication uh, is around. And I think we sometimes in our quality time, we really want to enjoy quality things. And I hope that Samarit as, as a destination has uh, or can offer uh, this as well. And I think also in the offer that we have, we are just, we just need to adapt a little bit and to refresh a little bit. I was going to ask you about stretching the brand, because as you say, lots of people have an impression of Samaritz as being pure luxury of, of you know, of fur, of fur blankets over your knees and horse carriages, etc. But this weekend you have a rave going on up the mountain yes. for <laughs> a proper rave. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if you're ducking out of this to, to go and put your, get your glow sticks after this. But, yeah, but, but, but tell me, how important do you think it is for the, for the town to stretch its brand in that kind of direction as well? Yeah, I think the DNA of Samaritz was actually also sort of rave it's so it, we, we were just crazy and we were enabled and some English guys came up and they wanted to do crazy stuff so we just say okay let's do it so I think we need yeah the stretch is really we need to be careful because we cannot go uh, that 
far away from the brand, but I think in the in order to to refresh it, to bring also some young people up to make them feel that Samaritz is not only about luxury and not only about four and not only about caviar. I think the real experience, the real Samaritz, the real DNA of Samaritz is actually being crazy. <laughs> well, you, you came to the right people, I think. Right. It's, it's interesting because when we've been talking about the essence of, of the brand as well, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure who coined it, maybe it was you, but I think there's this, this you know, there is this decadent component uh, that what is you know, said in a bar here, what happens after in the bar, uh, what happens in Samaritz stays in Samaritz. You know, it's kind of a perfect valley to, to contain things uh, as well. And I think I, I would imagine, you know, that's what you want to also transmit as well in a world where things become a little bit more complicated. You can't see this, you can't do that. You can go down a toboggan run at high speed in loafers, which is kind of <laughs> <laughs> carrying on a good tradition. It turns it out. Is. <laughs> what, what have you noticed? And maybe just getting, uh, you know, certainly to to the root of the world of news, and 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 of course thinking about the conflict uh, that is raging at the moment. This has also been uh, a resort which is well, of course, very well yes. known for its uh, its obviously its Russian tourist base, etc. Uh, has that been a big impact for you uh, up here? Because it was it was interesting talking to some hotel owners saying actually not that impact. Others, yes. What is it? What is that meant for you right now? So the last numbers that we have. So it, it, the perception is that we have a lot of Russian guests because this comes exactly from this area from the 90s, where the numbers were much higher. So uh, in the last five years, our percentage on the overnight stays from the Russian guests was about two and a half percent. So compared to other um, nationalities, uh, I think we are uh, yeah impacted, but not that strongly impacted. Of course. We we have, uh, I think the whole situation is impacting us, not not just in regards to the Russian uh, guests, but yeah, in general, I think it's really, uh, yeah, um, a, a thing that is not um, that easy to digest for, for anybody. And I think also other travelers uh, have uh, some thoughts on, on different things. And yeah, let's hope that this goes and um, actually we've, we've got some wonderful Russian guests with us this weekend who've been helping at Zurich train station welcoming in Ukrainian refugees because they have themselves lots of Ukrainian connections grandparents and so on and they've been at the stations speak as Russian speakers and, and Ukrainian speakers just helping people integrate people who've come here to Switzerland absolutely yes them. yeah I wanted to just ask uh, as well it's it's funny. Every time I see you here, you always got a big smile on your face because the numbers have, <laughs> numbers have been very, have been very good. I'm going and, high. And, yes, every and, single and, time. And you know, oh, it's like you know the hotels are sold out, etc., which is amazing. Do you think that trend is going to stay where where Swiss people, uh, where people, of course, within sort of the immediate region, have rediscovered the mountains again? Because yes, you know, once upon a time, yeah, and of course, they're still going to go back to the Greek islands and other things. But do you think this starts to become a bit more of a constant for families as well that people have been reintroduced? Um, and 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 obviously, you know, because sure, borders were closed. Um, and does it also present a challenge for you as well to get people who are also that local customer to return again? Yes. So I, my personal opinion that people will come back uh, again because exactly of the reason that they appreciate the authentic experience. I think they maybe. 20 years ago, they did not come up because they have this, had this perception of four and champagne and you know, top of the world and everything is so not approachable and not accessible for me. So after they have been here, I think they have seen it. So I think this is the best uh, 
communication one uh, can have and really the real experience. So they saw what is all about Summer Eats and I'm sure that they will come back again. I've just had a WhatsApp from Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer. He says, mission pickup accomplished. We left on time on our way, looking forward. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think now let's have a, a piece of music. Should we go to Gregory Porter and just take a break, refresh our coffee cups, and then we'll come back with our next guest. We're going to find out all about this location, which we're in right now, and also what will happen when we're dancing later at the Dracula Club. Hey, Laura, it's me. Sorry, but I had to ring your doorbell so late. But there's something bothering me. I really am sorry, but it just couldn't wait. Is there someone else instead of me? You're listening to Monocle 24. Uh, it is the weekend edition with me, Tyler Berlay, also Georgina Godwin uh, and, uh, and Andrew, Andrew Tuck. Um, maybe we'll just uh, have a little uh, look at the papers uh, this morning. Um, Andrew, I know you've got, you've got the Financial Times there. Georgina, you were looking at, uh, at some things uh, as, as well. And uh, I've got a, a copy of the, uh, the Blix item here this morning. Maybe I'll just uh, I'll start off uh, with that uh, this morning. With a uh, we have a very uh, interesting piece uh, front page, sort of down I would say from the polls, uh, and uh, we have this this image of uh, probably a very familiar face from about 20 years ago, um, and it's an image of uh, Carla Del Ponte, former chief prosecutor um, at the International Criminal Court, um, uh, and and she's it's a it's a really sort of fantastic interview that the Blick Zeitung uh, was able to to land um, with. Miss Del Ponte, uh, and of course, it's it leads on sort of a very very interesting point because uh, we have the the, the journalist um, asking her sort of the question, what she sort of makes of, of really what will happen uh, when we when we when we get to a point whether we're going to have a war crimes uh, trial or or not, um, and and what it, what is interesting um, is. Is we have a question says the, the journalist sort of asks us, you know, war has been raging in the middle of Europe again for over a month. How do you assess the situation in the, in the Ukraine? Um, and here's what's sort of interesting, Andrew, is um, this, Carla Delponi says, you know, you know, I was very surprised about the conflict. I never thought Russia would go for that. It brings back memories for me, too. Um, and it was awful sort of seeing this. But, but what comes out of this piece um, with, with Carla Del Ponte is that they really do believe uh, that uh, we will see a trial. Uh, we will see uh, that, uh, that Mr. Putin will be called to, to a, a war trial. And what was interesting is, you know, we go back to the Milosevic regime. Obviously, this is where this is something, of course, that she was responsible for bringing prosecution. And she wants to remind people. She's out there to, to of course, remind, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the world that Milosevic was was in power. Um, he was still in power when the prosecution period started. So I guess, Andrew, from your perspective, I'm I'm wondering, do you think we'll see a situation, and maybe how quickly will it come to light, or is Russia very different um, from a Serbia uh, when we think about trying to bring a, a, a sovereign leader, regardless of what you think about him, to to trial? Well, it sounds like there definitely will be. A trial and that this case will go ahead 
But the perception is that, you know, it's not going to change anything in Russia. He's certainly not going to end up in a jail anytime soon. And again, there's a piece in the FT this morning saying that actually lots of the people have been cornered in, lots of the people who could maybe have, have stood up against Putin, the, the oligarchs, they're feeling actually rather penned in now because they have no access to the West, they, they can't tap their welfare. So actually, they're, they're backing Putin more than ever before because the only assets they have are, are left in Russia. So uh, it, it's difficult to see how that will change in the short term, but I'm sure that it will, it will happen. So uh, just looking at the Times here, uh, it seems that uh, they, they're reporting that President Putin was visited by a cancer surgeon 35 times in four years at his Black Sea residence. Uh, Putin, of course, nearly 70. He has a brigade of doctors. Uh, and this kind of, this chimes with what people were saying about perhaps his mental state not being fabulous right now. And of course, if he's on steroids, as some people claim, that might uh, 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 account for a certain amount of paranoia and so on. Is health very definitely relevant in Well, I think the health piece is, is, is a, you know, a fascinating one because, of course, as you said, we've heard you know, various people saying yeah, that, you know, obviously, why is he sort of looking a little bit, in, you know, inflated and inflated, not just of, of, of ego? What does this mean from uh, the position of health? But and it's, and I think both you know, Georgina and to you, Andrew. Um, to see that we now have also this obviously Russian sort of investigative agency or, or news agency looking into this type of story. Do you think that this will see a ratcheting up of also other things coming to light? Because also a lot of this is also on public record. Um, they know when these doctors are coming in and out. So this, this is not being buried, but obviously there is an enormous sort of veil of secrecy around Putin as well. Yeah, I think just the use of face recognition to spot this doctor that seems to have been by his side on almost every public uh, appearance that Putin has made. It's just fascinating how these days you, you can go back through history and, and find these trails and find the evidence that he is maybe unwell. And again, I think all, all of this surveillance stuff, all, all of the media access to information and video and, and data over, over this war has been a, a real turning point in how war reporting has happened as well and how conflict reporting has happened. So Putin certainly in, in the crosshairs, but the whole of the Russian machine, has it, it, you can't these days do anything in secrecy. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it, how it's happening in real time for all of us who are watching this war. We can see the tweets from the front line. It is, and I think also, you know, obviously we've, we've touched on this many times, but the the media game that has uh, been playing out, and and I go certainly to the to the Ministry of Defence in the UK, where again we saw you know just in the last 24 hours, a very senior, uh, of course, uh, yeah, member of the defence establishment setting up there and saying the war is kind of over. At least you know, at least these key battles have been lost, uh, and and this PR sort of you know ratcheting down. On, on Putin, and this is of course a new type of, of PR warfare. But do you think, Andrew, that also backs him into a corner as well? I mean, you know, on one side you can say yes, there is some type of validity in delivering uh, this type of PR narrative, but at the same time, if I'm sitting, you know, in Moscow, if I happen to be down at my retreat in Sochi, and I read that, you know, London is saying that I've lost this, um, and, and particularly knowing maybe 
the not so stable state of mind. Is, is that is that a, a policy worth pursuing? Well, the only thing is, I think that he did in the beginning of this make sure that he had an out. So he's he's always said it's a special operation. He's ne he's always claimed that it's, it's not about taking Ukrainian territory. So in a way, if those things don't come to pass, even though we know those were the real ambitions, it, it, he can still kind of come back to a, a position of, of, I achieved what I wanted to do. We've destroyed their military capability. We've taken out airfields. You know, we've shown that we can take power plants if we need to. My feeling is that you know the, the, the battle and the, the stalemate will continue in the east of the country, in, in Donbass, it, it seems very difficult there to imagine him pulling back. So I don't think he's going to lose, lose, and he's certainly going to have the Crimea. And we have to remember that's a, another piece of territory he took illegally. So yes, I think Putin is on the back foot, but not in a way that he would actually find it too terrible to kind of say to the Russian public, OK, we've achieved what I wanted to achieve. Just to, maybe, Andrew, maybe we'll, we'll go to what you um, uh, might have found in the papers, but there's also just another interesting piece out of the Tagus Anzeiger in Switzerland today. And we've had the federal counselor, uh, uh, Karen Keller-Suter, she's, she's in an interview today, she's the justice minister in Switzerland. And, and it's interesting because she believes that actually you know, the refugee waves as well, that this is, is another weapon, it's another destabilizing weapon um, as well. So, Eugene, as you said, of course, we even have people here today you know, who have been welcoming refugees, we'll probably be talking uh, to a, a, another regular at our, at our conferences, etc., uh, who's been out in Poland uh, helping various agencies. But, you know, I guess on one side we see a celebration of how, of course, refugees have been embraced. Uh, but also, you know, you start to realize what happens, that how do these numbers get absorbed? Uh, people coming into countries that suddenly are receiving benefits when I may not have uh, been at the, at, at the right end of maybe social services in my own country, and what that can, uh, what that can potentially mean um, as, as well. And whether that is a moment of reckoning, fine. I mean, we have a justice minister saying that here in Switzerland, but whether that is even being calculated yet, and, and whether that's a calculation which happens on the part of, of, of people who are, you know, in, in charge of, let's say, traditional sort of, you know, the, the home ministry, um, versus that this is actually a bit of a weapon in a way as well. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, it's interesting because we know that the, the waves of migration that have come before you know, have had destabilizing impacts on, on countries that have tried to absorb people. But there are often people who are arriving with a, a shortage of skills. They were from, from uh, uh, places where they hadn't learned English at school in any sense or German at school in any sense. But here, many Ukrainians already had worked for many years in, in Poland or they'd been to Germany. Their, their, their ease at crossing over the border, many have very transferable skills. So it's going to be destabilizing for Ukraine to lose potentially four or five million people in the short term. But oddly, we know there's a shortage of labor in almost every European country. If Putin thinks that's going to destabilize a, you know, a Germany or a UK, he, he may have miscalculated, because I think actually people are being, one, willing to open their doors, and two, I think that it comes at a time when many of these economies need to absorb more people anyway. And also what we're seeing, of course, is this major brain drain from Russia, where you've got the intelligentsia just leaving in droves uh, and, and crossing over wherever they can. And I think ultimately, perhaps it's, it's, it's a bigger problem for Russia. And just on that, Alex Self from um, Monaco, he's just been in Tbilisi in Georgia, where the, the younger of those intelligentsia, because it's about the cheapest place you can get to, many of them have fled. And he just spent a few days there meeting playwrights, people who had been 
uh, bloggers and writers and, and critics of the, the government, but they've all left, they've all decided to get out. And again, a, another story today, uh, which is in the, in the FT, saying actually there's a lot of, um, of young conscripts who are going to be called up this year who are panicking about it. And there's a feeling that that, that dissent is growing because he may feel that he's, he's controlled the information coming from the front line, but actually too many people have died now, too many people have sent back messages. People know what's going on, and there is there is a, a potential revolt on his hands. Andrew, you have um, the New York Times um, and, uh, and the FT in front of you. Where do, where do you want to go next, story-wise? Well, th this, that was the, the, this is the big investigation here about you know, the Abramoviches and, and what's happening to the oligarchs, uh, which is in the FT, which, which makes a fascinating read. And there's also a nice piece, or an interesting piece, again, um, by a guy called Serge Shaman, who's a, a member of the editorial board of the Times, now, he, he knows Russia very well. He was there 30 years ago. And he says that actually there was a chance here for Russia and the West to get on very well. And it, it didn't need to take these routes. Now, we're 30 years down the line. But it does hint that actually there's nothing so strange about the Russian psyche or the Western psyche that you can't have collaboration in the future. So a slightly hopeful piece there from him as well, I think. Um, maybe um, we're going to go away for just a short break. Um, and uh, it's, uh, what, 10.39 uh, here in uh, Sam Moritz. It's 9.39 uh, back in London. Uh, you're here with me, Tyler Relay, Georgina Godwin, uh, also Monocle Editor-in-Chief. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about entrepreneurship um, in the region. Uh, but this is Monocle on Saturday. We're back in a moment. Monocle's April issue features our 2022 retail survey, where we celebrate the brands and people reviving our high streets, keeping communities strong and reminding people of the power of coming together. Also in this issue, we take a road trip across southern France to gauge the mood of the nation as the presidential elections loom. We also visit Fiat's factory in Turin as the company's CEO, Olivier Francois, races towards an electric future. Then we take you to America's oldest independent art school. Head to the skies of Montana, where raging wildfires mean aerial firefighting businesses are soaring, and we drop in on the city behind Turkey's global rise in the furniture trade. Order your copy of Monocle's April issue today, or subscribe to get instant access online. Saturday, we're broadcasting to you live from San Moritz. I'm Georgina Godwin, with me Tyler Brule, who's our editorial director, and our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. We're actually in the Super Mountain Market, and we're also joined by Mario Watson, who is the owner of the Super Mountain Market. Hello to you, Mario. Good morning. <laughs> Mario, uh, we're... This is a, a wonderful buzzing space, and I'm sure our listeners back home can hear just how lively it is. Uh, but this is something that you've built up yourself, as Tyler was saying earlier, talking about entrepreneurship. This is something that you personally have been deeply invested in. Yeah, we, we kind of had to do this because we needed good coffee in St. Moritz. So it was more like a... Uh, a task that that uh, not so good coffee in St. Moritz asked me to fulfill, and I think now it's fulfilled. And I'm super happy to have you here, 
and uh, to enjoy the coffee with me this morning. <laughs> I just want to maybe um, rewind a little bit because so we're in a new space, uh, but also this started a little bit further down the hill here. But maybe tell us a little bit about the evolution of the, the Super Mountain brand. Uh, what was your idea? And I guess you're coming into the year three or year four now uh, of this adventure. Uh, we're in year three now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we started like shortly after the first lockdown, uh, where I had a lot of time to rethink also my work here in St. Moritz. And I just, there's this beautiful building in the, uh, in the village. It's called Forum Paracelsius. It's like actually the source of uh, St. Moritz. There is like a thermal spring that's still running and it has like amazing water coming out of the fountain. And in this place, I wanted to create something. And I think it was, for me, it was kind of obvious we, we need to create something about new luxury, about like uh, quality. So the, the project Super Mountain Market is mainly about craftsmanship in the Alps. Um, so we are basically showing for six weeks every summer in this beautiful building, uh, handcrafted products, design, and uh, we're also offering good coffee. <laughs> that was the beginning of the Super Mountain uh, brand. And then, uh, as this is just a temporary project, uh, we decided, together with my partner Angelo, uh, let's do something in town, like really in the center, uh, much smaller, and this is now the Super Mountain Coffee, where we're in, uh, just to have something all year round, because I think it's important that St. Moritz is becoming more and more like a place where you can really have also a good coffee in May, uh, even though it's off-season. Um, so, uh, yeah, just to offer to the locals, but also to the visitors from uh, around the world um, that we have here in the coffee shop today, um, like uh, uh, a place, a social place also um, that, uh, yeah, that is open all year. Um, Mario, you're not from Samara, it's not, you're not even Swiss, man, <laughs> and uh, your, your partner is Italian. Yes. Why the mountains? Because we were talking at the beginning of the program, there's something happens when you're in the mountains, your brain works in a different way, there's different opportunities, but why the mountains? You could both be running this in Berlin or in Milan or... You know, in Berlin and uh, because I was living in Berlin for 10 years, then moved to London and then via Rome I actually came here. Um, I think you have plenty of coffee shops, you have plenty of concept stores. Um, I have the feeling that there is more like a, uh, there's too much happening in the cities, whereas here in St. Moritz there is really a need of new things. There is a generation coming here that is asking for new projects. And I have like here it's it's amazing because you have like I have very close connections with the town, also with Mariana from the marketing. She comes here for coffee, we talk about new projects. I think this is something that you could never have in Berlin or in Rome or in London. Uh, now, one of your other roles is as manager of the Dracula Club, which is where we'll be later. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, the Dracula Club is a project that uh, came to me uh, through my um, ex-boss, Rolf Sachs, who is like really one of the main figures here in St. Moritz. He's pushing uh, St. Moritz uh, with all of his heart and passion since many years. Also, his father did that in the 70s, Gunther Sachs. And Gunther Sachs founded this, like, private members club yeah 1970 and um, now we had two years ago we had our 50th anniversary and uh, yeah basically I always say I'm not a club manager I'm more like a vampire caretaker <laughs> so I, I just make sure that the vampires have enough uh, fresh blood coming uh, coming to the mountains. There's plenty of fresh blood coming in tonight. Yeah, just I mean also yeah, fresh and new blood I think which is also in, important as well. But let's go back to the topic of, of, of entrepreneurship because 
you, yeah, we both had uh, you know, very uh, offline conversations, Mario, about the, the challenges uh, that, that happen. I mean, you're you're German. You're from you're from Baden-Württemberg, uh, a, a very uh, conservative, uh, but also sort of stable heart of the German Mittelstand. So on one side, we know that rules and regulations are important, uh, of course, to allow businesses to flourish. You need rule of law. You need good contracts, etc. But also, we know that. Too many laws uh, and regulations also stifle entrepreneurship um, as well, um, and it, it makes it very, very complicated to get a small business up and running. Is is there a sense here in the valley where there is you know, we, we, this brain drain all over the world? But it's been it's been it's been quite critical for a lot of the the high alpine regions because people do head to the cities. Do the the local authorities, the Gemeinde, do they understand that? Do you feel there's that level of facilitation that's required and, and needed? I mean, as I said, the biggest benefit is that you, you are always very close to the to the people that uh, pull the uh, they decide about the where the where the town is going to. So um, that's what that's something that makes it, I think, easier. Uh, you just have to massage them frequently. You have to serve them good coffee, and then, uh, like most of the um, uh, people here, they they are supportive. Uh, I think I believe St. Moritz is now in a transformation. There are still people that are kind of sticking to the old, which I think has is also good. We don't have to change here completely. Uh, but now I think there is like a um, yeah, there's more space for new. And uh, this is a space that I'm I'm really happy to to use for new ideas, and this is very well supported. And I think it's just like really that I really like you know not sending thousands of emails or having phone calls every day, but just to meet the people who decide uh, here in town, and then you can get uh, projects um, happening much faster than in the cities, even though you have like. Uh, regulations and structures, but I think it's also supporting um, that the projects are really uh, long term. If you if you if you kind of respect the rules, I think you can really manage to have a long term successful project here. And that's something that I really like. I was going to say when I asked the, the concierge yesterday, we were saying we, we were going to a super mountain. He kind of looked befuddled because I think he thought it was the name of a mountain that we discovered on the ski routes. So he was like, he was looking at the map, and I said, no, 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 it, it's in town. Now tell me, one of the things here in the mountains is you. Yeah, there's a lot of people here who make money from dairy, from from cows and cheese. What's, is it contentious offering the, the old oatmeal milk when people come to the bar? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's for me the the old milk is more like a symbol of the new. I don't I don't judge people that drink uh, drink uh, regular milk. It's more like something that but I also want to say. Hey, we we offer something new if you like it. It's great, but we also offer organic local milk here. And about the concierge, I mean, it's a bit of a mafia, the concierge, and they know it. <laughs> they just care about the luxury watch uh, shops here. But I'm, I'm sure soon they will also come to our coffee shop. Unfortunately, they were not the first then, but uh, it's also fine. But when the cows come down the mountain, which I've seen here, just up the road, they come down the mountain with their big bells on. Yeah, and then they, we, we get the milk straight from them. <laughs> but really, it's fantastic. You don't have to go to the supermarket, or you don't have to order anything on Amazon. Or Amazon.
Okay, let's just, oh, sorry, Georgina, let, let's just project ourselves into the future uh, for, for a moment, though. When we think about the evolution of this place, you know, Mary, we hear about, of course, there's innovation hubs, and in a world of new working, of course, you can be up in the mountains the whole time and, and have your sort of wonderful life up here. Um, is, it, is that going to, to play out? Because I guess one of the challenges, and we were talking about just when the mics were off a bit earlier, is that there is still a seasonality here. And as you said, it's great to have something that, to be able to serve coffee in May, which sounds like a total revolution up here. But you know, part of part of the problem is that these places they do go a little bit quiet um, from April. I mean, this is this is the end of the season. Tomorrow is really the end, the official end of the season. The ho hotels will be closing. Uh, guests checking out tomorrow. That's going to be it, uh, and then until until June time. Um, is there that sense that this also has to go to 12 months a year as well? And in a world of interconnected Europe, etc., that maybe there's not these sort of two nap periods. I think it's it's also fine that there are breaks here in the season because I'm also gonna do some I'm gonna go some to some holidays in uh, in the off season, which I think because the, the season is always very intense here, so I think people also need a break. Um, but uh, it doesn't have to be all year. But I think, uh, you know, when the, most of the shops are really closing and shutting down their windows in the off-season, and I think that's a bit sad. I think not, it's not necessary that everybody has to stay open, but we need an infrastructure for really like a young community that comes from the cities. I have a lot of friends from Berlin that are actually really moving here. They are working from the mountains. And they need like some infrastructure for during the off season. Mario, thank you so much for, for, for coming here and for hosting us here, sure. and of course for hosting us later. Um, so, Tyler, we're talking about what the future might be here in San Moritz, but also the reason that we are as Monocle here in San Moritz this weekend is to celebrate our 15th anniversary. And just really in our final minutes, what I'd really like to do is to look back at our last 15 years, look at how we're going to celebrate it, but also look to the future what's next well uh, we we had uh, we had a bit of a planning session uh, as andrew said uh, yesterday and there, you know, there is something quite amazing because we were sitting in the lobby of of Subretta house you have waiters in white jackets uh, spinning around the room you you also had this sort of white wall of just of snow coming down and i said it was a bit of a blank slate uh, to really to think forward about what we about what we want to do what we want to to force to to achieve um, so I think there's probably Andrew some things we've talked about that are very much in the public domain we're here to of course celebrate the launch of a new book um, and I think from our side you know we also want to look at our own publishing agenda as well so maybe one of the first things because I already got some emails overnight from people in Portugal who said oh you know <laughs> the monocle team has descended on Porto for example so maybe one of the first things is um, a new type of travel book that we're, we're looking at I think a new concept what won't hopefully won't just be fresh for us but I think it's going to be a fresh take for the news and it's a bit it's, I would say it's, it's the start of a new type of series Andrew yeah, so it, it, in essence it's a handbook for the country so of course it's if you want to find a hotel a great restaurant it's going to be quite selective it's going to point you in the direction of the things that we love it's going to be a beautiful product probably not something you put in your pocket it's, some, it's a, a planner but if you want to go and live there or set up a business there it will also give you the first steps for doing those things as well because we know that many of our readers have been a little bit kind of thinking about where they should base their companies during the, this this last two years thinking should it be in a sunnier city so that's happening we have an amazing book of photography that's shortly going to come out 
And then also on the, on the book side, we're looking at doing a, a summer reader as well. And so and when we think about these things, Georgina, um, it is, it's interesting because part of it is also about a tempo. We've, in a good year, we've been able to uh, you know, get four books uh, out, uh, out the door, uh, which is good. Andrew, we're probably looking at maybe upping the tempo that we can be in a position to maybe get probably six or six or seven books out the door. I mean, books team don't panic, but that's a little bit what's been what's been discussed. No, definitely, we're we're, we're upping the game with books because they're they're an amazing product. They 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 stay on bookshelves for many many years. Some of our first titles are still selling well. And they're, they're, they're good kind of distillations, are, are really pure distillations of what you believe about things. So our book of photography, 25 amazing photographers celebrated, 15 years of incredible photography. And not just one that's appeared in the magazine, lots of things that were in the archive that never ran, but which are just in amazing pictures as well. And of course there's the book of the Nordics too. The book of the Nordics, which we just came off the back of, of one tour, and then we were talking yesterday. You know, that book is going to, to run and run, uh, obviously. There's this book of photography, which of course is coming out, but we'll probably do one more tour around the Nordics book as well. So for our listeners, I think we've sort of agreed it's going to be a Brussels, Antwerp, Amsterdam, uh, probably a stop in Paris um, as well. So that's going to happen um, over, over the coming weeks. And then we were saying as well, what we're reminded of, I mean, I was just in the US. It was great to be back in the United States after a two-year uh, absence, uh, being in Dallas and Miami, Los Angeles. So we're talking as well when the book of photography comes out um, that uh, I think Andrew and uh, a married cohort will be descending on Washington, uh, maybe Boston, maybe Chicago, certainly New York. Yes, and, and maybe even going back to our, our Chris Lord in LA. So all they're, they're great ways of engaging with our audience, having these debates, just as you're doing tonight. So it's great to have a party and it's great to celebrate things. But when we have these moments to have content and, and, and interesting people, then somehow they become more magical. Tyler had an amazing roster of diplomats when he was in Helsinki last week. In London, we, we had the Danish, uh, the Finnish, and, and, and the Swedish ambassadors on stage when we did the Nordic book. And then people go away with a bit of a... There's a bit of a mindset change as well that can happen. And I think, Georgina, what's been probably so telling and, and maybe just revealing, certainly off the back of the US trip, and then having the Nordic trip right after. When we were in Los Angeles with our readers, and again, people who hadn't seen us, and also people hadn't been out to events as well in Los Angeles, they, they came up to us and said, thank you, know, thank you Monocle 24, and they were thanking us just for being there as a brand, because they said a different conversation happens around these microphones, a different conversation happens on page, and and people like the fact that we, you know, not just by going out of bounds, but I think that there is a freedom to say what is maybe not being said in the United States, which is not being said in other outlets. And then when you go to arrive in the Nordics, there's this real feeling, especially, Andrew, when you mentioned the diplomats, the various foreign ministries feel it's so important that we are able to push forward, that they're able to push forward as governments to absolutely maintain that we have to have uncomfortable conversations sometimes and people are, need to be allowed to say other things and I think that's very much something which we're trying to push forward with as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now of course we've got this wonderful party here tonight and people are not uh, who are listening to this and are not able to get here. It's not the end of the world because of course we've got our quality of life conference coming up that's in June in Paris. It is. So uh, we will be in Paris, 2nd, 3rd and 4th. The core of our conference um, will be the 3rd. 
word. Uh, we're doing it at the Dijonif M, which is this wonderful new atelier complex, uh, which has been founded by Chanel. This is going to be continuing the, the dialogues that we've been having over the past years about what makes a city succeed, and, and also highlighting also why do cities fail in certain parts as well. And, and this is just going to be a wonderful venue to talk about how you can make an intervention, how a private sector player uh, can you know, instill hope, uh, can of course uh, deliver skill sets, can stimulate the economy, stimulate the neighborhood. That is the backdrop. But of course, as, as ever, we're bringing in speakers from all over the world. Of course it'll have, and it, and it should have a bit of a French flair um, as well, because uh, of course we're, we're in Paris, uh, but that's going to be uh, something quite interesting as well. Absolutely. Uh, Andrew, Tyler, thank you both so much for being here. Of course, we're going to be back tomorrow because that's all for this live edition of Monocle on Saturday. Our thanks to our guests, that's Mario Weitzelman, uh, Mariana Yacic and Tyler Brule, of course, Andrew Tuck too. Thanks to our producer, Desiree Bandley, who's been battling away with trying to do this in a very untraditional uh, uh, space, and to our London studio engineer, Nora Hall. Uh, I'm Georgina Godwin. I'm Tyler Bradley. I'm going to be back tomorrow morning uh, as well. Monocle on Sunday is going to be live from Sam Moritz uh, with another red guest. And probably a lot of uh, comments and thoughts. And also we'll be talking to Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer uh, tomorrow uh, as well. So join us for that. Uh, but until then, have a good weekend. If you're in the neighborhood uh, as well, you can still make it up uh, to Sam Moritz. But we'll look forward to seeing you either today, but join us tomorrow. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.